when I was on Learn with Jason talking about 11D serverless, I actually spent a fair amount of time talking about, hey, 11D doesn't work for every use case. There are certain websites you have in mind that 11D would just not be a good fit for, and that's okay. That just means it's better suited for other kinds of sites. I think there is this instinct in Jamstack communities to like try to cludge Jamstack into a fundamentally un-Jamstack-y problem space. What do you mean? Gatsby is the best for everything, and we should have never moved off Gatsby, and there's no need for like spell or solid or anything like that. Gatsby, it did everything. Ben Myers, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. You were on an earlier episode, 30-something, talking about web accessibility. You are a web developer and accessibility advocate at Microsoft. Today, we're going to be talking to you about 11D, because 11D is a project that I know you're really passionate about. We've had others on the show talk about it a little bit, especially Ben Holmes, who is building a meta framework on top of 11D called Slinkity. But today, we're just going to be talking about 11D proper, what it is, why people are excited, about it and what kind of stuff they're building with it. I'm thrilled. I absolutely love 11D as a tool, and it's one of those things that's just been an absolute privilege to get to introduce people to. Fair disclosure, I totally have not introduced people to it through a podcast medium, so this is going to be very interesting. Super excited to chat about it with y'all. Well, we first start with just what 11D is. So I think if anyone has heard about it, they know that it's a static site generator. They may have heard that it's based a bit on Jekyll. So if you can just talk a little bit about what it does and what you would build with it. Yeah, so I find that just simply saying Jekyll but JavaScript is enough for some people to just get it. I will say that the fact that it is powered by JavaScript makes it more approachable than other static site generators for many people because JavaScript is kind of the language of the web. If you're doing front-end development, JavaScript is something you're very likely to be very familiar with. A static site generator that leverages JavaScript, specifically the Node.js ecosystem, is a very compelling sell for a lot of people. But I should definitely back up and kind of explain the bigger picture. You described it as a static site generator in the vein of Jekyll. I think that's absolutely, absolutely fair. But personally, I don't have experience with Jekyll. And so that's not something that really like helps me like understand what it is. The simplest way to think of 11D is it is a tool that will take content, typically in a format such as Markdown. It'll take that content and it'll just convert it to some pure, raw, boring, fantastic HTML or other assets. That is, I think, the simplest way to think of it. You've got some content, you know, maybe it's blog posts, maybe it's documentation pages, maybe it's a landing page for some product, some content that is mostly static, and you just want some output, typically HTML. That is what 11D is and what it's really, really good at. What 11D isn't is a tool for building highly dynamic interactive experiences. For those, you might still consider a client-side web application framework such as React or Vue. 11D just simply isn't as interested in addressing those kinds of websites, and I think that's totally fair. But if you've got something that could be expressed in static HTML, 11D is possibly a very good project for you. 
So I actually first started learning about 11D for a big reason because of you, Ben, because we were building out the lunch.dev calendar with it. And that was a really interesting project because we were trying to create like an events calendar. So what we did is we just had a Git repo that was building the static site. And then we had markdown files for the individual events. Then the individual events would be transformed into little cards on the front end. So if you want to talk a little bit about why you picked 11D specifically for building that, because I think Chan, also the reason why we kind of went with that was because you were really passionate about it. We wanted to learn more about it. So I'd be curious about the thought process behind that. An event calendar like that is, if you think about it, nothing but a bunch of articles. At the time, we were not heavily invested in doing anything interactive with that calendar. We just needed a place to stick a bunch of descriptions and details of different events going on, different links that we could send people to. And that is, again, something that is very well suited for that kind of static markup. When you think about a lot of like web application frameworks, a common criticism that some folks in various web dev spaces will point to is that web app frameworks can be quite large and bloated. And that means that if you're building your, your site with those, your end user very likely will have to download all of that and construct an experience from that. Whereas you could get more or less the same experience, but just very, very lightweight. And I think that lightweight websites are fundamentally good and responsible. I try to take a very conservation mindset to the web. I like to only use what I need. And I apply this to like users' resources, such as their data. You know, if they're out and about on their mobile phone and they're using their data plan, chances are good that they could have a really slow connection. They could have data caps. I think that if we don't need to send them an entire web app framework, we probably shouldn't send them a web app framework. That is, I think, not being the best steward of their resources. They're going to have a slower, chunkier experience as a result. So why did I choose 11D for this project? It's because the project, at least as we were thinking of it at the time, didn't need anything more than that. We just wanted some lightweight HTML pages out there on the web that could build quickly that anyone could add to. 11D is really based around this concept of a template. A template is a content file written in a language such as Markdown or HTML, and sometimes with templating languages such as Liquid or Nunjux, that 11D builds into a page or pages of HTML or sometimes other static assets. It's weird because there always feels like there needs to be some asterisks, but broadly think of a template as a content file that gets transformed into some output pages. The nice thing is that Markdown for most developers is a fairly ergonomic experience. And that meant that if people wanted to add things to that site, they didn't have to worry about the whole instrumentation and orchestration of the entire project. They could contribute simply a markdown file. And that was really nice. 11D also has built into it this concept called the data cascade, which I think is one of the most crucial things to understand about 11D and also one of the things that took me the longest time to wrap my head around. When you're in a template, again, a content file, you can use templating syntax. And 11D allows you the opportunity to expose variables, essentially, in that templating syntax that you can either just print out onto the page as part of the content, or you can transform or operate on them in different ways. It's data, it's variables that you have access to. 11D has this amazing order of operations for how it lets you aggregate that data. 
So you can say, oh, I've got some data that will be made available to every template of my site, or I've got data that's available to every template that uses a certain layout, or I've got data that applies to every template in a given directory or its subdirectories, or I have data that corresponds exactly to one template. The lovely thing about this is it exactly follows the mental model you would hope for something like that, which is that it's powered by co-location. Data that applies much more specifically to an individual template will have a higher precedence over data that corresponds globally. And this mental model, I think once you start playing with it, allows for some really, really powerful configuration of your website. And in a way where you can almost afford to like set it and then forget it, which I think is incredibly powerful. You can set some sensible defaults at the global level, such as maybe like every blog post uses this blog post layout that I've defined. And then one blog post, you could override that and use a different layout maybe to accomplish some art direction. You've got a very special blog post that you want to have a special layout. And so you can change that data as you go. That kind of configuration is once you start wrapping your head around the order of operations, incredibly powerful and flexible. And at the same time, magic enough that you can bring new people into the project and they just don't have to worry about any of it. And I think that is super cool. Yeah, and I think that was interesting that came up while we were working on it is we ended up in a situation where we had to rebuild certain things at certain times because of the way events work is there'll be an event upcoming, then there'll be an event that has passed. You don't want to have, you know, stale events still on the home page. And so we ended up kind of setting up like a cron job type thing with a GitHub action. But I think that this is the type of thing that now today, if we had been building that, there would be other ways to do that. Not even mentioning the new scheduled jobs functions that Netlify just added. But what I was curious to get more into was the serverless bit, which is that there is now... 11D serverless. And you've actually been on the forefront of this. You did a stream with Zach when this first came out and you've been building stuff out with it this whole time. And we talked with Stephanie a little bit about it. And I'm really curious to get your take on it because we've talked about serverless a ton of times here. Redwood was built on serverless. Like we love serverless. Well, I love serverless. I don't know if Chris loves serverless, but I'd love to hear just like what is 11D serverless and why was it built? 11D serverless is an opt-in build mode for 11D. So typically, 11D, everything is pre-rendered. You have a build step, you run probably NPM run build, if we're being honest, and 11D kicks in, it picks up all your templates, and it converts them into HTML files. And once they're built, they're built. So if data changes behind the scenes, such as data that was fueled by an API, you don't get any updates to that because there's nothing in the HTML linking that data like real data in any sort of backend. It's just pure HTML. This meant that 11D has historically been very limited. 11D could only reflect what was true at build time. So 11D serverless is this new opt-in build mode for 11D where you can say certain templates are built whenever you request them. Again, non-11D people should probably read that as either certain pages are built when you request them, or I prefer to think of it as certain routes are built when you request them. I think that framing gets really, really powerful because you can use 11D's data cascade, you can use 11D's front matter and templating languages, all the stuff that you absolutely love about 11D, you can use, but in this on-demand way, this on-request way. You create a page as you request it. And if you're using, for instance, Netlify's on-demand builders, you can then cache that page. And so it's as if you had built that page in the build step. 
This is hugely powerful for a couple of reasons. I use this demonstration when I go on people's streams to talk about 11D serverless, which is a color contrast checker, which takes two hex codes and it'll display in this pretty format the color contrast ratio. Well, if you have two hex codes, which are six digits long each, then that is, I want to say, 2.75 times 10 to the 14th contrast ratios. I don't want to build that. I don't want my dev server building that. I don't want my net with high build minutes building that. That's incredibly wasteful. I love to defer building those kinds of things until they're needed because chances are the vast majority of those contrast ratios will never see the light of day. Very few of the ratios on that site will ever be explored. And so why build them? So 11D serverless is a great way to defer building a large data set that folks might not ever look at. You also don't have to cache. By default, 11D serverless built pages don't cache. You have to use specific things like on-demand builders to cache. But what that means is that you can have up-to-date data. You can have during the on-request build, you can hit an API and you can get the latest, greatest, up-to-date data. And I think that is incredibly powerful. That's something that we haven't really had in 11D before. But at the end of the day, what gets sent over the wire is still an incredibly lightweight HTML page. It's not a whole client-side page that's pulling in a large framework. You don't have to worry about things like loading spinners because all the fetching is done server-side. You don't have to worry about things like authentication because all the fetching is done server-side. So you get to take advantage of just everything that you love about serverless functions and everything that you love about 11D. And I've brought up a couple times that this is opt-in. I really love this because you aren't turning your whole site suddenly into a quote-unquote serverless site. You first opt-in by installing the serverless plugin, and then you still have to opt-in on a template by template basis. So the core of your website, the main pages that we guarantee people are going to hit, like your landing page and a couple of your like about pages and stuff like that, those are still built during the build step, still totally cached, still available for search engines to crawl, all of that stuff. It's just that this one subsection of your site is now served on demand. I think that that is super exciting. Another benefit of 11D serverless routes is that you can take advantage of arguments passed in the URL. You have parameters in the path, or you could have query parameters, for instance. And this allows for some really just dynamic experiences all around. Anthony, you've alluded to, I've got this project that I built that is designed really to just test what I believe is the absolute limit of 11D serverless. This product is showmy.chat. Anyone who's been in the streaming biz will know that it's very common for Twitch streamers to use websites as part of their stream layout. A very common use case for this is showing your chat box as part of your stream so that folks can see who's interacting with the stream and it's really exciting and look at me, mom, I'm famous. I'm on my favorite Twitch streamer's stream. Doing anything like that requires some understanding of web dev and web sockets to be able to read from the chat, which is not something I feel like people should have to worry about. So I built this site, showmy.chat, which allows you to put in your channel name as well as set a couple of just other properties, configure a couple of extra values there. It will generate, using 11D serverless, a page that has all of the web socket logic and the DOM manipulation to display the chat and all of the theming all set in place for you. So you get this on-demand themed chat that 
responds to the arguments that you passed in through the query parameters. Do I think that 11D serverless was the right tool for that job? I'm not entirely sure. I've actually been kind of considering maybe looking and seeing if I could have done the same thing, but maybe more flexibly using something like SvelteKit. But I think that it's incredibly exciting that 11D, which has been this kind of beloved pre-build tool, now affords you this extra flexibility where just because you wanted a page that always had dynamic stuff or the latest information, you don't have to like opt into a completely different framework now. You can still say within the 11D ecosystem that you love. That was a lot. I've literally just been sitting here just like absorbing it all in. I feel like a mega React Chad when I say, yeah, but you didn't say any of the buzzwords. SSG, ISR, SSR. I think DPR would be one of them technically, right? Distributed persistent rendering. Yeah. <laughs> the Venn diagram of all of these words is a very pretty butterfly. Um, <laughs> and also inscrutable to anyone outside of the space. For folks at home who are playing, you know, buzzword bingo, it's 11D's implementation of distributed persistent rendering or sometimes not distributed persistent rendering. Brian Rinaldi calls it deferred rendering. That's the term I like. It's deferred rendering. Everyone's got their own different take depending on whether they're a framework or whether they're a CDN. It's deferred rendering that's most similar to, I think Gatsby now has, I forget what they're calling it now. I think they call it deferred, incremental deferred rendering, something like that. This is exactly why I'm just using Brian's term of deferred rendering, right? If you're looking at this and going, what's 11D's version of incremental static regeneration or something like that? The closest thing is 11D serverless. What is distributed persistent rendering? It's 11D serverless hooked up to on-demand builders. That's what we're talking about. Hopefully that helps for people who are hoping to play buzzword bingo. The crux of it is you hit a route and 11D is run in the serverless function to create a page for you in basically real time. The reason I say all the buzzwords is because sometimes they help define where it sits in the market and sometimes they really do not. And this is where we talk about like functionality is obviously what really makes people understand what all these terms are. Things like Next have this, Gatsby have this. For example, you build a website, let's say an e-commerce store, really easy, and you add a new product does that product then just get rendered onto the website using like a webhook or is it more that that product would only show up if that specific url is then entered because then serverless knows to run and make that page serverless is still kind of in its infancy but it would really depend kind of on your implementation i know zach is still kind of working on having like serverless routes that have been created but then saved can now get added to like what 11d calls collections which are arrays of templates and so you could be able to then display it on the rest of the site and truthfully i haven't done a whole lot with that i think it would depend a lot on your implementation but yeah it's in the moment the on request your serverless function that's handling that is looking for any arguments that you supply it in the url either through the structure of the URL itself or through query parameters, you're probably passing in a skew or some other identifier in there and would look up some known database or API and be able to, to render that for you. This is actually what I've personally seen with all these different types of rendering methods is that you chuck out the complete build they add a new product and then go, it's not in the store. I'm like, well, it is on the store if you know the URL, but you need to go to the URL for it to appear on the rest of the store because that means the website now knows about it. And it's like, how do you explain that to someone not technical is that they need to know the URL to go to the right product to then appear on the rest of the website. And it's like, 
I thought this was meant to save money and like all these things. And it's, it's still a really complicated subject. One of the really big things I wanted to ask is what serverless is sending down the pipe back to the client is not rehydrated JavaScript or JavaScript JSON. It's just HTML. Yes, just pure, boring, lovely, fantastic, delightful HTML, which means that it's going to be fairly lightweight. Really, the way to think about this is this is how the web used to work and in many places still does, right? Like this is what we now call server rendering, except you don't have to own a persistent server and you're very likely not doing anything with sustained sessions or anything like that. But the meat of I go talk to a server and I ask for a page and that server builds me that page on the fly. It's that, right? That's what's going on. It's just, I'm waving my hands, doing jazz hands, imagine sparkles around this. It's now Jamstack. That's what it is. But it's bringing that kind of server functionality into a tool, into a framework, whatever you want to call it, that previously has been pre-built, where you create a directory of HTML files, and then that directory of HTML files is yours to do whatever you want with. You could FTP that into some server and just host that directly. You could FTP that into a CDN, or you could do what I do, which is I have a Git-based workflow hooked up to a CDN, in this case, Netlify. And so every time I push to my repo, Netlify rebuilds. But you don't have to have any of that instrumentation and orchestration, you could just be uploading some boring old HTML to a server and just hosting that. And this provides the same lightweight end user experience where you're getting just HTML. It's not, oh, HTML, and then we rehydrate it down the road and replace your entire page with this like app behind the scenes that hopefully you won't notice. It's just HTML. It's lightweight. It's easy to cache. It's a little friendlier for search engines to optimize. It's just when all you need is static HTML on a page and not a whole lot of dynamic interactive stuff, it's fantastic. It's glorious. I think the performance thing is an interesting conversation. I don't know if y'all know this, but right now we are in the middle of a pandemic. And this means businesses have taken measures around this pandemic. There have been a small handful of times I have gone out to eat at a restaurant on the tables. Instead of giving me menus, there are table tents that have QR codes I can scan to pull up their menu. This to me is an example of a wonderful idea to meet users' needs that typically fails miserably in the execution. Because when I scan the QR code, it pulls up the restaurant's website and the restaurant has used some site builder or another that sends over gobs and gobs of JavaScript. A whole framework likely, at very least, probably jQuery. It's just sending over a whole lot of stuff. I don't know if y'all have this experience, but every restaurant I seem to go to seems to have poor internet connection there. I don't have great connection there. Don't have great reception. And so it takes me like 20 seconds where there's just the spinner. And then I get to see a list of foods, which is mostly text. Sometimes there's pictures, right? But the pictures are strictly optional. That feels to me like no one quite anticipated this pandemic, restaurants least of all. And re-architecting your website is an expensive process that you can't just say, oh, just remake your website with faster stuff. But we are several years into this now. Folks haven't looked at this and gone, huh, those slow websites at our own restaurant to pull up our own menu, that's an area of opportunity for improvement there. Considering that when people are out and about, they're often in those kind of reception dead zones, such as a restaurant. They're operating off of finite data caps. They don't need gizmos and widgets and all sorts of interactive stuff. They just want to see what kind of food they can buy at your restaurant. 
there are times where having tools that make it really easy and flexible to just serve some boring static HTML is exactly what your users need. And having that developer experience to make that easier is just gorgeous. Yes, but I have two counterpoints. I'm ready to hear them. But JavaScript, I can write my CSS in JavaScript. I can write my HTML in JavaScript. I can just write JavaScript. And two, hey, you're a captive audience in a restaurant. Of course they want you to sit there a little bit longer. Well, I mean, I think both of those arguments are very fair. But I think that too often we look at like JavaScript as this great enabler and don't think of it as like also a responsibility and a possible point of failure. An example I sometimes use, because I think documentation sites are a fantastic use case for 11D. And so I would like you to just kind of envision we're building a documentation site for some library we've made. As is the custom, we want to show how many GitHub stars this library has. In the React ecosystem, it's fairly commonplace to set up a fetch to the GitHub API and display that. But what if the GitHub API is down? Well, I sure hope you set up some error boundaries and stuff like that, right? What if the GitHub API is not down, but really sluggish? Well, I certainly hope that you set up loading states. You have a lot of complexity around a part of the page that honestly no one cares about. You incur risk and you incur complexity over such a minor part of the page. I think that sometimes that stuff is incredibly valuable and stuff to consider and to consider how do we do this responsibly. Of course, yes, we could work around the foot guns. We could build a robust, resilient experience. But I think it is also interesting sometimes to ask how critical is this really? Could we get away with having the result of how many stars our GitHub project has? Could we get away with having that be just hard-coded text in the built HTML, but gets updated with a nightly build? Is that acceptable? In some cases, no, it won't be. But in many cases, it totally could be. You say, oh, we've got JavaScript. And I say, sure, but it might be more resilient in the back end when we don't have to worry about you know the costs and the risks and the complexity around doing all this stuff client side. As for a captive audience, I mean, sure, right? But like, no one's going to look at that and go, ah, yes, this restaurant was very fancy and stuff like that. And I sure did feel very fancy waiting on my phone to pull up this menu in the middle of the steak restaurant going, it'll load, I promise. Do I need to refresh this another few times? It's all about different experiences and there is no one size solution that fits everything. Yeah, I would have walked out of the restaurant uh, if the website was made in PHP. Just not for me. <laughs> I don't care how rare you like your steak. This ain't for me. Um, no, all jokes aside, Lemonty Serverless looks really, really cool. I think one of the things that is really cool about it is that what it's spitting out is HTML. So many times when it comes to like, if you even think about Nexus implementation or Gatsby's, do I even know what it's splitting out? Kind of, to what I understand, it's just JSON. It spits out a massive JSON chunk that then gets stored in the HTML file that then gets rehydrated into the client, to what I understand. So when you see their messages in like next year saying, hey, your ISSG step is a bit too big, it's because you're literally dumping a massive JSON object into like a script tag for Next.js to read later, if you didn't know. I don't want to bash on those tools. I think there's absolutely a time and a place for them, but there's a time and a place for boring old HTML as well. And 11 is amazing. And I think what's the most amazing thing about all this is that we're still very early. 
it's still all very early. Even what Next.js is doing, who you could say have been doing SSG for the longest time, we're still so early when we talk about things like frameworks like Marco, who have been in the industry for like 10 years. Everything is still so early in this area. And the more capabilities that we have with less abstraction, I think the better. And I think what's really interesting is what you just said about it's an opt-in, not a automatically there it still works as expected but if you want to add this then you get it because so many times when it comes to things like say next.js or gatsby i use next.js all day every day so i don't mind bashing it is that do i even know how much javascript it sends to the client by default well i hope it's not a lot there's so many things of like what we tend to forget is when i say about the question of i know javascript i could just write everything is that I've made an abstraction line that is so high because it's all in JavaScript that so much performance can be potentially lost because you're technically compiling down to CSS, HTML, JavaScript by default. What Leventy is doing is just saying, look, you know HTML, you know CSS, just send that down the wire and that is good enough for 80% of use cases like a blog or documentation. And now with serverless, right, you complement the sites that are already built with static, like a fantastic example. And I want to give a shout out to both Brian Robinson and Stephanie Eccles, who have done this kind of stuff, where you can have your blog and the meat of your blog is all built statically ahead of time during a pre-build step, right? It's great. And then using serverless, you could add a search bar to that site. So now your search pages are generated serverlessly based on your search query. But the meat of your website is still that static, cached, search engine friendly version of your site, right? So it's all additive. And that's what makes it really good is that so much of the ecosystem right now is taking like your Ford Rapture by default. You're not starting with the smallest car you can possibly can. It's like, we got the biggest engine to do the school trip in. It's not like, let's start with a really small city car. It's like, take everything and just use it. (laughs) Absolutely. One of the other things I wanted to get into is I know that you've been working a lot on adding to the 11D documentation because you've written a ton of blog posts about 11D. I mean, I think for the most part, when people want to explain like the data cascade to people, your blog post is kind of the canonical example that is usually linked to. So I would be curious when you're looking at the 11D docs, where did you see areas that you felt you could add value? Yeah, one pull request that actually got merged in not long ago was I defined a bunch of terms because I was looking around for a definition of, for instance, the word template. And the the definition that I eventually ended up adding to the site was the one that I gave y'all, right? A content file, typically in a language such as HTML or Markdown, that gets processed by a templating language and gets built as output. I had the opportunity to add that to the site because I actually couldn't find anything like that anywhere on the site. I think that the 11D documentation right now is fantastic at showing you the breadth of 11D's API. But a room for opportunity I see is onboarding new people to 11D. As it kind of stands, the Getting Started Guide has you build a template and then, you know, run 11D to build a site using that template. And then it kind of just goes, ta-da, welcome to 11D. I would love to see 
more resources from the ecosystem, but especially more resources in the core 11D documentation around how to take that getting started and build like a fully fledged application that you could host something pro on. So that's a, a room for growth, I think. And I think that that is going to require kind of some more explicit like step-by-step walkthroughs. I think that's also going to require a bit more tying pieces together, like painting a bigger picture of that, which is why, for instance, I wrote that data cascade post is because Eleventy has some great pages about each step of the data cascade, but painting that as like one big picture with the sense of when should you use one step or method versus when should you use another step or method, that was something that I, I felt like was missing. And so that's something that I'm hoping to contribute more and more. I think it's a, a bit of a, a slow process. You don't want to boil the ocean. You don't want to contribute every update all at once. This is something that I'm kind of doing in a bit of my like free time, just kind of here and there is, you know, maybe I'll add a page or I'll add to a page that already exists, but provide a bit more of the context in what I hope is kind of a beginner, newcomer-friendly way to help them really understand like, why does this fit into the bigger picture of an 11D project? This is something that, you know, I've heard this sentiment a couple of times in the 11D spaces, and I don't want to bash on the 11D docs. I do think that they are great. And again, they reflect the breadth of 11D's API. But this is something that right now there is a need for, and people are writing blog posts and making videos that rise to that need. If you're listening to this and you yourself do 11D, or if you're learning 11D, I would say right now the community needs you. The community could really benefit from you writing about your experiences and the things you learned and kind of the real practical step-by-step process of how you built the thing that you've built, whether that's on your own blog post or on your own YouTube channel, or... Maybe it's in some way contributed to the documentation. I have no official affiliation with 11D, but this is something that I'm seeing more and more that folks could benefit from. That is kind of the encouragement I would give is this is, I think, what we we need to see. Like 11D just hit 1.0 recently, and that marks it as, you know, a mature product. And I would love to see us figure out more and more ways to bring people into the fold. I myself learned 11D through Andy Bell's course, Learn 11D from Scratch, which used to be a paid course. It's now open and free, but no longer being updated. And I think just more resources like that, that again, take you from the docs, which can sometimes be, you know, very API focused to something that is instead kind of methodological in its design. I think it's something that 11D could benefit from. I would use the term explanatory. One of the favorite things that I love was something you said earlier that I wish all frameworks said is as simply this, we can do everything, but we are not good at everything. You should use us for X and Y type of websites. And if it's not X and Y, go look at something else. And you said documentation and blogs and like homepages. That's what Element is really good at. Don't go try build a dashboard in it. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And it's like, it can be done. And I think that there is value in experimenting, like using a thing far beyond what it was meant to do. In the CSS space, I see this a lot with like CSS art. Amit Sheen's work is like using CSS to create hyper-realistic 3D animations. This is so far beyond the realm of what anyone ever intended of CSS, but we learn something as a community from pushing CSS to its limits. Right. And we learn techniques that we can use in the day to day. So like, that's not to say you can't build 
hyper-interactive dashboards with 11D. You can certainly learn some things from that. But like, if you're trying to publish, if you're trying to deploy to production, and you're trying to have like a resilient app, like those kinds of things, probably 11D isn't on the table for you. And that's okay. But I've definitely had this moment where like, I'll be working someone like individually through 11D to like rebuild their blog. They'll be coming from like a React mindset. And then suddenly I show them how they could create something that looks identical to their blog, but as HTML. And there's just that moment that clicks where it's like, they've been using using a tool that wasn't intended for the job. And now they have a tool that was actually meant for that kind of thing. And it just unlocks something in them. That is, I think, a, a huge takeaway, right? Is there's no one size fits all, but that means that the one size that fits all that you're thinking of isn't a one size fits all. Very true. Building blogs with Next and Gatsby is pretty overkill when you could just send sweet, sweet HTML. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really happy that you were working on the docs because I know I've struggled with the docs. I know others have as well. But as you say, just bashing the docs like doesn't solve anything or, or make anyone feel good, especially when Zach spent so much of his own free time creating this project. So when you see things like that, contribute back, <laughs> especially if you're someone who's in a position to help with things like documentation and explanation. So that's really awesome. That's very much like the spirit of open source. So happy you did that. I think in general, like people benefit from having more multiple possible explanations for things. If Zach is the only person writing documentation, then everything is going to be oriented around how Zach understands things. And Zach has a lot of great context into the inner workings of Levendy, as well as just the inner workings of the web. But Zach is not everyone. I'm not everyone. The two of y'all aren't everyone, right? And so bringing more people to the table documentation-wise means we can get a better diversity of explanations that can work better for a wider diversity of people who are coming to this project. And that is awesome. Is there anything else about 11D you want to talk about before we wrap it up? We touched a bit on how it's HTML, and I think that part itself is really huge. I feel like I've become a more robust developer as a result because, like, you know, I can't just rely on a component to do things for me. Like, I have to think about, like, what is the best markup for this? And what are the scripts that I have to write to make this work robustly? I've been very fortunate that, like, Eleventy has improved me as a developer, and I'm super, super excited to see just how much the community is growing. It feels like it's exploded in popularity recently. I think in part to the Learn 11D from Scratch course by Andy Bell. I think it's in part just due to things like the 11D meetup that have been organized by Sia Caramelagos, Stephanie Eccles, and Thomas Semler. There's a lot more community outreach and stuff like that. I'm just incredibly excited to see this project grow. It just received full-time open source funding from Netlify, which means Zach is now like paid to work on 11D full-time. And already we've seen some long-standing pull requests get like merged in that have enabled things for different teams. The more people we could get in on this project, just kind of the more cool things we can build, I think. And so, yeah, absolutely. Dive into 11D, see what you can build, see what you can break, see how you can make something that you previously might have wanted a whole framework for. See if you can build something lightweight, robust, semantic, performant, and just see what a different way to build is like. Yep. And if you hit any roadblocks, check out Slinkity. There we go. Yes. <laughs> can you go ahead and let our listeners know where they can find more about Eleventy or more about yourself? 
Yeah. So if you want to learn about 11D, the documentation can be found at their website, which is 11ty.dev. 11D kind of has two spellings. It's a whole thing. But 11ty.dev, I'm sure the link will be in the show notes. There's multiple links on there to find the documentation. Poke around, see if you can find the Easter eggs there because it's delightful. The documentation button is incredible. If you want to find me out and about on the web, I'm on Twitter at Ben D. Myers. Again, I'm sure that link will be in the the show notes. And I host a weekly Twitch show, which Anthony has been a part of four times now, I think. He was the inaugural guest, and he's still the the person who's been on the most times. It's called Some Antics. Every week, I bring on a guest from around the web development and web design industries to teach me something about building a great user experience for the web in a hands-on way with a focus on accessibility and or core web technologies. And you can find that at twitch.tv slash some antics dev that's s-o-m-e-a-n-t-i-c-s-d-e-v semantics dev i look forward to hearing from y'all i I look forward to seeing what y'all build what y'all make what y'all are learning what you're doing my cat has just jumped off the bed in a clunky noisy way tuna wants to be on the show yes i think that probably means he is done with this podcast as well all right well thank you so much ben it's always a pleasure getting to speak we appreciate your time and hope to have you back soon See y'all later, y'all. I remember back in the Gatsby days when you'd have 10,000 pages. You're like, I just want to rebuild just that one. Mm -hmm. We're finally there like five years later. Yep. Even 11D beat them to that punch. Wow. I should learn more about 11D. It's almost as though we need a podcast episode about it. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a pre-show clip. Perfect. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Hands ready?